Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james, netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james this isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host this is the james altucher show today on the james altucher show i had my car accident I was hit head on by the drunk driver at 70 miles an hour. I broke 11 bones. My femur broke in half. My pelvis broke in three places. Um, I broke my arm in half. I shattered my elbow. I severed my radial nerve. I broke the sockets in my eye. I was clinically dead for six minutes. And when I came out of the coma, they said I would never walk again. And my dad came in and he sat down. He said, Pal, how are you really feeling, son? It's okay if you're sad and scared. You're 20 years old. You're being told you're never going to walk again. I said, Dad, the way I see it, there's only two possibilities. Number one, the doctors are right, and I will never walk again. And I've accepted that. I gave myself five minutes to be upset about it, and literally I did. And I said, but if I can never walk again and I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I said, Dad, I've already decided I will be the happiest and the most grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. I've now accepted the worst case scenario. It has no power over me. I don't even think about it. I don't even dwell on not walking again. And this is the same thing I did with the cancer. I said, Dad, all of my energy is now available to focus not on what I'm afraid of, but on what I want in my life. And I wanna walk again. So I visualize walking every day. I feel the emotions of what it'll feel like when I take my first step. And James, one week after this conversation, I took my first step. So what do you think happened? Like you said, you were putting energy towards, like you mentioned in the book, you uh, were doing often extra physical therapy. Yeah. What do you attribute the fast recovery time to? Was it? The visualization and the affirmations, which feels a little woo-woo. Sure. Like if I had unwavering faith that I'm going to be the best basketball player in the NBA at the age of 51, that would just be stupid no matter how much extraordinary effort I put into it. But that said, I do believe this formula because 
of compounding. So if extraordinary effort, like you say, if you just put do a little bit each day, people don't realize, you know, and I, I, I've written about this, but 1% improvement a day in an area which you passionately love and are willing to put extraordinary effort into, 1% a day compounded is 3,800% a year. You're actually 38 times better than you were yeah. after a year of just 1% a day. So you have a huddle at 11.30. Yeah. I need to leave at 11.30, yeah, for the airport. What, what else have you done in New York? Um, nothing. Really? Game for you, brother. You're kidding. Uh, oh, well, I'm really honored. Yeah, no, I'm honored. I'm, I'm so grateful. Okay. My good friend, Hal Elrod, author of the amazing million copy plus book, The Miracle Morning, out with a brand new book, The Miracle Equation. Hal, welcome to the podcast. James, I'm so happy to be here, man. How we've known, I feel like we've known each other for like seven, six or seven years. I, how did we actually meet? Did we meet at one of, uh, one of the events, I think? Yeah, yeah mastermind talks or, but yeah. we already were in communication or we knew each other. I had you on for the Miracle Morning. I had you on my older, much older podcast, Ask Altucher, like yeah. in 2013 or 2014. And the Miracle Morning was such a great book. And it came out around the same time that I put out choose yourself. And I always feel like we were neck and neck. <laughs> and, were. and and for many years, I will say choose yourself was edging out, was beating out <laughs> the miracle morning, but you did. And we'll talk about this on the podcast. Both books are self-published. Both books tell personal stories that, that could be considered tragic kind of stories, but then, uh, you know, how you dealt with your story, how I dealt with mine. And you did such a good job building a community. I don't want to say marketing, but you, you did such a good job building a community and really putting a solid effort around that book. Miracle Morning is consistently super high on the Amazon list, like six or seven years later. Miracle Morning has really been a miracle book. And you you franchised it. You had like Miracle Morning for parents, right? Or for parents and families, for college students, for entrepreneurs, and the one you wrote the forward for, for writers. Yes, Miracle Morning for writers. <laughs> That's the best one. <laughs> with, with you and um, Steve, Steve Scott, Scott who's yeah. a friend of mine, and yeah. he's been on this podcast a couple of times, and Honoré Corday. Corder. Yeah. Corder. Yeah. Uh, how'd that book do? I wrote the forward. Uh, it's do. I mean, the, the, if you go to the Amazon, the reviews are, you know, 4.9 out of 5 stars. 4.9 uh, out of 5. That's yeah. like the best book I've ever wrote the forward for. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than all my books. <laughs> so did it help people? Did people, I guess people like it. Yeah, I mean, people are, are, it's helping them create a ritual and then, you know, their morning ritual, tie that into a writing ritual that, and that's it. As we know, you know, if you want to create results, it's about doing one thing every day or something every day that moves you in the direction of your biggest goals and dreams. And eventually they become inevitable. Well, and that's what it did. Well, I, I'll, I'll, this just, this is just a brief aside. So the Miracle Morning for Writers, I'll just tell you my, I, I would say, so I write every single day, but I would say during my peak writing years, yeah. now I have other things going on, but during my peak writing years where my main focus and my only focus was writing, I had a, a, a my own morning routine for writing. I would um, uh, read from kind of a spiritually oriented book, not, not a, not a self-help book, but like a spiritually oriented or meditation kind of book. Yeah. Uh, I would uh, read quality fiction writing. I would read from a nonfiction book to kind of get some inspiration combining the quality writing with the spiritual, with the nonfiction. And then that would take two or three hours. And then hmm. I'd probably uh, write for two or three hours. So I don't know. 
I wouldn't do other aspects of the, that was my- That was your morning. miracle morning, sure. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't wanna do a lot of physical activity before writing because I felt that would tire out the mm. brain. Mm. Um, and I would maybe meditate, but that wasn't necessarily part of the morning routine. And I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't eat before I wrote. Cause yeah, I, mean, wanna, that, I, don't, I didn't wanna, like that literally makes you like bogs the body down. Like the the brain then is focused on digesting instead of creativity. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the worst food coma. Like I have a salad or, you know, I eat something small and my wife's, I'm like, I gotta go take a nap, sweetheart. She's like, you're such a wuss. <laughs> so yeah, I don't eat before ever. And then, and then I feel though, because you were focused, you're not necessarily focused on um, writing. I'm not saying, I mean, your writing's good, um, but I'm not saying you, you, you don't necessarily say to yourself, I've got to write 3000 words a day or the day is no. not, not a success. You're, you're focused on, and, and correctly, I think you, you wrote the miracle morning. That was your, 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 that is your belief system. Just like choose yourself is, but I, but I, for me, but I had many other, um, different things I wanted to say, which came out in different books and different types of stories. You focused really hard on helping people with the Miracle Morning, building such a strong community. Like how many people are in the Facebook, Facebook community group, for Miracle uh, Morning? 205,000 people right now. Amazing. That's, and, and, and you worked hard for each and every one of those. It's not like you advertise, hey, join mine. Yeah, we have no advertising, no yeah. Facebook ads. It's, it's all from people reading the book. And then just in the, in the book, there's an invitation to join the community to get supported. And the tagline of the community, which I think really says what it's about more than just morning routines or rituals. The tagline in the Facebook group is uh, 200,000 people who wake up every day and support each other. And it's become one of the most beautiful in terms of the spirit of humanity, people that are literally working together to elevate the consciousness of humanity and by elevating their own consciousness. Well, and I'm of course a member of that group as well. And uh, I see it's everybody kind of supporting each other, asking questions I feel adds a lot of depth to like the, the questions asked and answered and your participation um, really adds a lot of depth to the book and, and and it's like you point out in the miracle equation, um, I think as you built that community and as you continued the marketing and your speaking efforts around the miracle morning, um, you know, you saw the, the example, like basically three years after publication, that's when your sales really started to shoot up. And that's when I noticed you were starting to consistently pass choose yourself in, in sales. And it, it really, people always ask me like, how do you best market? a self-published book. Do you do ads here? Do you do ads there? Do you do SEO? But you did it the right way. Like building a community, speaking, you know, being consistent and speaking about that one topic at as many places as possible. You, you mentioned in this book, you went on over 300 podcasts about the book. Yeah. I mean, I think that's how you market a book. And you don't, you know, I always say the best way to market a book is to write the next book. You didn't necessarily do that. You you franchised the concept so that it got exposed. The, the idea of the Miracle Morning got exposed to a lot of different topics and you used experts for those different topics like parenting, writing, teens, so on. But uh, entrepreneurs, but you know, you really stayed focused and and I think it paid off and and worked for you. And then, um, again, horrific things happened. So the Miracle Morning, you described this horrific thing that happened to you or two horrific things that happened to you. You know, the you had this car accident, you died in the car accident, you died uh, again, you know, on, I guess the operating table while yeah. you were in your coma, you had, you, you might, you had this, you were told you might never walk again. And, you know, using the techniques in the miracle morning, you basically 
came out of that perfectly fine. But then after all of this, <laughs> after all said and done, after the book came out, you came down with, and I remember it was like unreal. It was like in this one week period, you know, like I had just seen you post, you were looking healthy, everything was going good. And then suddenly all your organs collapsed. You had cancer. It looked like you were going to die. I remember I was following it, you know, like hour by hour, what's going on with Hal? I didn't even know who to talk to or what, how to find out. So I was just following in the community. What happened? So <clears throat> I woke- And by the way, you describe it in this book. So I'm asking for the, of for the sake of the listeners. Yeah, no. So I woke up in the middle of the night um, uh, and I couldn't, I, I was <gasps> gasping for air. I woke up and I couldn't breathe. And my wife, you know, she woke up hearing me gasping and I sat, I couldn't breathe and, uh, or I had trouble breathing. And she said, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. She propped up some pillows. I sat up in bed. And uh, the next day I went to urgent care and they misdiagnosed me with pneumonia. And they said, if it doesn't get better in a few days, go see your, you know, go, go get a second opinion. And it got worse and worse and worse. I was, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. And my, what was happening was my lung, uh, outside of my lung, it was filling with fluid and it was collapsing my entire left lung. So when I went into the hospital, I had to go in over the next 11 days. I had my lung drained, I think something like six times. After the second time of draining your lung. They must think at this point, it's not pneumonia. Yeah. And, they're, and when they, yeah, they, they, they ran, they're just running test after test after test. And I'm literally going to the ER every other day to have my lung drained. And then it just fills up again. And then I have it drained as it fills up. And so I went to the doctor and, uh, he did some tests and he brought me back in and he said, Hal, um, uh, you know, he wouldn't tell me over the phone. Like the nurse called and said, you need doctor wants to see you. I'm like, D can you give me like a hint of what's going on? And she said, yeah, he wants to see you. I'm like, well, this is weird. And it's uh, never good. When, when they, they won't tell you say, the phone. yeah. Well, let's talk in a little bit. Let's. The doctor wants to talk. I can't say that's never good. Never news. good. No, it, no doctor ever says. Uh, I need to see you in person. <laughs> and let you know how great things hey, are. <laughs> you're like Superman. I wish I could. Can we hang out more? Like nobody ever says yeah, that. Yeah, no. So, I, so I go in and he says, Hal, um, it, there's definitely something going on. Your lymph nodes are are swollen, producing all this fluid. It could be um, uh, a, a virus that we don't, you know, we got to test more for, or it could be cancer. And at that time, James, well, not even that time. I mean, for the previous 10 years, I had lived an anti-cancer lifestyle. Like I watched a documentary called Healing Cancer from the Inside Out when I was 25, I think. And I've lived, I basically was like, oh, I'm going to just live the way that you would live to heal your cancer just ahead of time so I don't get cancer. So when he said that, I'm going, well, that plan didn't work. It did not work at all. And I, I'm, you know, I'm going, there's no, you know, I'm like, nah, it's definitely can't be cancer. Like it's got to be something else. And long story short, um, after another opinion and more tests, um, it turned out I had a very rare, one of the very rare and, and very aggressive form of cancer called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Well, I, yeah, you mentioned that in the book and I don't know, I should have Googled it, but I don't know what that is. What, where are you getting tumors somewhere? Or so it's a blood cancer, leukemia, all leukemias are blood cancers, right? Which means the cancer is spread throughout your entire body through your, it's in your blood, right? Um, so no tumors. Um, and, uh, and the, and it was concentrating in my lymph nodes, which was causing this, you know, excess of fluid. And the, uh, there, the doctor told me I had a 30, the, the, the published survival rate for my cancer is 30%. Well, now, now, when someone says, like, yes, there's all these published uh, 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 survival rates, but and I've had this conversation with other guests on the podcast, you kind of have to look deeply into those statistics. Like, are those statistics about, you know, 80-year-old, you know, men who get this cancer? And that's, let's say the, the average person who gets this cancer is 80 years old. Sure. Is that their, their survival rate? Or, well, so... Or, like, you, like, again, you were living a very healthy lifestyle. With someone with your lifestyle and your age... And, and whatever other health characteristics you had, was there a higher survival rate? 
it actually got worse. Um, I, when I first met with the oncologist, my doctor said, you know, hey, here, here's what you have, 30% survival rate, which, and I always say, if you're a pessimist, that means that's someone saying you have a 70% chance of dying and leaving, you know, I was leaving my wife and I've two, had two small kids, seven and four years old, which was the, obviously the most terrifying thing is to leave your family um, behind. And I said, doc, no offense, but I, I'm not a big fan of chemotherapy, you know, just in general, the idea of poisoning your body and hoping it kills the cancer before it kills you. And yeah, you put it in a very interesting way in the book. I never really thought of it that way is that chemo is basically, it's like this race yeah. or, um, between killing the cancer before it kills you. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it absolutely is. And, and so I said, I would like to cure this holistically and build my body up so that it can fight the cancer naturally. I said, doctor, can you support me in doing that? And he said, Hal, I, uh, I appreciate that you want to heal this holistically and naturally, but he said, you don't have that kind of a cancer that affords you that luxury. He said, this isn't a slow growing tumor. He said, last week you were healthy. And James, I didn't mention this yet, but when I went to the hospital, they found out not only was my lung collapsed, but my heart was surrounded by a sack of fluid and I had to go into emergency procedure to drain the fluid or I was going to have heart failure within a matter of, you know, could be hours or days. Uh, and my kidneys were failing. And so the doctor said a week ago, Hal, you were healthy. Now you're on the verge of death. And if you don't start chemotherapy, you have maybe a few days, a week at most before you die. So is this, were you like in kind of um, the denial stage, would you say? Or, or, you know, because you were basically saying, oh, oh, let's cure it holistically. But obviously if things were collapsing that fast, what does holistically even mean? Like you were already living a holistic, a exactly. holistically clean and life. And that was it. There wasn't much to improve. And so I, so I, but I also, I didn't know my doctor's heart. I just met the guy like that was, right. that was the first meeting. So I didn't know if he was, you know, I didn't know if this was, I, I honestly felt like it was a scare, like my skeptic went up. I go, this is a scare tactic. He's trying to scare me into chemo. So I said, doc, give me 24 hours to, you know, consult Dr. Google, if you will. I didn't say that, but, um, and, uh, and, and so I went home with my wife that night and we Googled, you know, my, my cancer and basically found out that he wasn't exaggerating. People die usually because they're like, I was misdiagnosed with pneumonia. Most people die from this cancer. It goes from zero to 60 in days and you go from being totally healthy to being dead. And, um, and so I realized, and, 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 uh, uh, what is the average age of someone who gets this? Is this, could this be anyone? Could this hit so everybody? What's interesting is when children get it, it's a very high success rate, uh, survival rate. It's like 80% of kids that get it survive. If you're an adult and I don't know exactly where that cutoff is, you know, and so I'm relatively, I'm still young, I think in energy and mind. Right. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, the older you are, the, the of course, the, like you said, the more chance of dying that you have. But I, um, I, so I basically, we realized that, that, oh, oh, here's, here was the last straw. I called one of the best holistic doctors in the world who happened to be in Houston where I was at the hospital. And Suzanne Summers wrote about him in his book. He cured her, helped her cure her cancer naturally. And I called him. I was like, oh, this is meant to be the best holistic doctor lives right down the, or he's right down the street. And I, I said, well, I'm gonna, I, I felt really, it was, I, I go, this has got to be serendipity. It's, it's going to be perfect. And he was Polish. My wife's Polish. So she thought that was really, you know, it's, it's meant to be. I called his office, told him what cancer I had. And he said, I can't help you. I have no experience curing that cancer. And uh, did he say it to you or it his sounds assistant like, said it? To yeah. Me. So I thought it was weird that he didn't talk to you. You just talked to the assistant. She went and to told him the diagnosis. He came back and said, I can't help him. He needs, I, if I were him, I would do traditional treatment. And so, why didn't he get on the phone with you? I have no idea. Yeah. Busy, busy guy, I, you know, but, but so if you can imagine, you know, if you're, if you put yourself it kind of in my shoes, you know, I'm going, so I have a 30% chance of surviving this cancer. If I do traditional treatment, if I don't do, if I do holistic treatment, I, I, I have no, it's just a total crapshoot. I have no idea. No, and, and if the best holistic doctor in the world thinks he can't help me, 
how in the hell am I going to navigate this journey on my own? So we went, we called the doctor, checked into the hospital, and I started one of the most, if not the most intensive chemo regimens in existence. There are, you know, everybody's different, but like my aunt just had breast cancer and she would have an hour or two of chemo once a month. I would have a hundred hours of chemo nonstop every three weeks, four drugs, alternating five drugs, alternating four drugs every three weeks for eight months. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, and again, it usually kills the patient. They die from the chemo often before they die from the cancer. So, so before we get to the end of this story, I don't even know if we've mentioned, you know, you you have a new book out, the Miracle Equation. Yeah. Um, which 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 really has nothing to do with the Miracle Morning. It's like almost different miracles. They complement each other. You know, yeah. it's sort of like how to create miracles in your life, and and you have this formula: unwavering faith plus extraordinary extraordinary effort equals miracles, and and you talk about that in the context of this story that you're telling yeah. me now, but okay. Um, and I remember when this was happening, the entire miracle morning community was like, you know, really to use to, to, for lack of a better word, praying for you and, sure. and Ursula, you, you know, your wife and, uh, 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 and everybody was, was worried and, and scared. Like this is sort of like this weird thing that was happening to, you know, you were the, the, the head of this community, you know, sure. and, and everybody was there in that community because they, they, the miracle morning had helped all of their lives. Um, before we finish the story, just summarize with the miracle morning that your savers acronym, you know, which is, which defines, you know, kind of your morning routine. Yeah. You decided to do all, uh, six of these things in the savers, uh, uh, acronym. <clears throat> and then, yeah, and I'd love to, um, you just re reminded me that also I, I'll, let's transit, I'll, I'll share that and then transition to how the miracle equation came into my cancer journey. Cause that was really important. Yeah. So it, with the miracle morning, the, yeah, the it's six practices that are the most timeless, you know, proven personal development practices in the history of humanity. I mean, they're not new, um, but what's new is doing all of them together. And uh, the first, the S in savers is for silence. So that's your meditation and or your prayer time. The A is for affirmations. And uh, the way I teach affirmations in the Miracle Morning book is very different than the way that self-help pioneers have taught them. And, and we'll talk about that because you give step-by-step, five-step guide to creating affirmations, affirmations. And I really liked it because I don't really like the typical affirmation methods for the exact reasons you point out in, in this new book. Yes, yes. So, so the V is for visualization. Uh, the E is for exercise, the R is for reading, and the S is for scribing, which is my friend J.P. Sears, our friend J.P. Sears says is a pretentious word for writing. Um, but, uh, and, and I'll, I'll sum it up. I always sum up the, the savers with uh, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He had me on his radio show. He read The Miracle Morning three times in three weeks and started practicing it every day with his wife, and it, which was you know, I'm a fan of his, so it was a huge honor. And they reached out to me and he had me on his show. And at the end of the interview, this is what he, I'll paraphrase what he said, but he said, Hal, any one of this, he goes, what makes the miracle morning such a miracle for people is it's very practical. It's not esoteric. It's not woo woo. He said, any one of the savers practices can radically change a person's life. If somebody starts meditating, it's, it's, it's transformative. If they start exercising, it's transformative, right? He said, what makes the miracle morning such a miracle is you've combined, he goes, I've never heard of anybody that did all six of these practices, you know, every day. But he goes, if one of them will change your life, six of them, you know, it, it, it quadruples the, or, or not quadruples, but six tuple, I don't know what the word is. But he said, it just increases, this accelerates the path at how fast someone's gonna grow because they're doing all of these savers practices. So yeah, so that's the savers. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and if you want, I can share kind of how the miracle equation came into the cancer journey. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I think that's very important um, because at that point, 
you know, you're, you're about to start chemo, you start chemo and, you know, it does take unwavering faith to kind of be optimistic through that. And I remember at the time there'd be pictures of you going through chemo, you know, ball, the, the, you know, the tube, you know, what do you call that? The, IV. Yeah. The IV, like you're holding onto, you're in the robes and you know, your fam, your wife's there smiling right next to you. You're smiling, your eyes all swollen, swollen up. Yeah. Um, and you seem to have unwavering faith. And then the extraordinary effort is obviously, you know, what was happening, but then, you know, so, so let's, let's talk yeah. about that. So, so you started the chemo. So did it hurt? Like, I'm going to ask naive questions. Yeah, no, uh, no, the, well, actually when you're going through chemo, you don't feel it at all. You're just watching Netflix and you're going, I'm going, this is weird. Why is this so easy? I don't, I don't feel sick. I don't feel, you know, don't you feel nauseous with chemo? Uh, well, a, they, now they get the, you know, they have anti-nausea pills that they give you. And those actually seem to work well. I, I, I mean, there were times, but I wasn't that nauseous. However, um, the, uh, with the chemo, I, it would, it hits you, uh, like four days later, usually. So what happens is you're getting chemo, you feel fine. You know, I'm getting chemo for like three or four days, feel fine. Uh, or no, four or five days and then go home. And then you're at home for a few days and you're like, still feel fine. And then all of a sudden it hits you like a truck and you literally, your first, first is fatigue. You can't, I mean, walking from, you know, your bed to the bathroom is like, you're, you're hunched over going, <gasps> you're out of breath. Um, you know, I lost 25% of my body weight. I went from 165 pounds to 127 pounds at six feet tall. Um, and, uh, and I had the most horrific, I, I would get infections, migraines, temp fevers. I'd have to be rushed to the ER more nights, you know, than I can count. And, um, and uh, thankfully my dad was my caretaker and, and he took care of me. But so here's what happened with the miracle equation. The day I was diagnosed with cancer, the hardest phone call I ever made was to tell my, my wife was actually out of town when I got the diagnosis and I had to call her and say, Hey, sweetie, I have cancer and it's, you know, it's a 30% survival rate. And, um, I knew how she was going to handle that. Now, if you've like my, I, I believe I accept everything I can't change. Right. I, I, that's one of the things I teach in the book. Right there. So just to, just to say yeah. you have the, the five minute rule, which you have been practicing for a while, which yeah. is if something bad happens from let's no matter where it is on the scale of badness, zero to 10, sure. you, you, you give yourself five minutes to say, okay, a, a bad thing happened and you'll be upset about it. And then after five minutes, you can't say change it. You, you can't change it and you move forward and, yeah. uh, and that's worked for you. And there's such a temptation to kind of keep things mulling over in the mind. But I think this is a really good practice to kind of move forward because if you can't change it, then the only thing to do is to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or you can just be miserable. We have a short life, as you point out, and and why spend another minute if you can't change it, mulling over this negative thing? There's no value in, in putting energy into resisting your reality and wishing we could change something we can't change. There's a chapter in the Miracle Equation book called Becoming Emotionally Invincible. And that's what it's about, is how do you, no matter what happens to you, be, in, be able to manage your emotional state so that it, you choose it. So, and, and this is the great example I can give you of that, which is I was diagnosed with cancer. And what I told my wife on the very first phone call is I said, sweetheart, um, two things. Number one, I, uh, I believe this will be the best thing that ever happened to me because looking back at my car accident, that was the previous best thing that ever happened to me because, well, other than meeting my wife and marrying her and all that, you know, romantic stuff, but because it, it, the, the car accident enabled me to overcome the biggest challenge of my life and therefore become a better version of myself on the other side. And I think for all of us, uh, we, you know, most of us don't want adversity, but the reality is adversity is our greatest teacher. It's our greatest, you know, growth uh, is, is through those challenges. And so I said, sweetheart, um, I will be the happiest and most grateful that I've ever been 
while I'm going through what I imagine will probably be the most difficult time in our life with this cancer journey. Did while, while you were going through the cancer journey, while you're going through the chemo, was it hard to be, to find things to be grateful for? Uh, not at all. Um, only the, uh, it was hard. What was hard is when you're in pain, <laughs> right? When, when that, you know, you mentioned the picture of my, my, you know, my entire face swole up twice the size, my eyes swollen shut, having horrific migraines. Uh, you know, physical pain is overpowering. It's not like I'm, I'm happy. It's like, no, this fuck sucks. I'm in pain. I, you know, like, right. But other, did, when I'm not in physical work? pain, did like more, what kind of painkillers did they give you? Um, the, uh, uh, they gave me all sorts of crazy stuff and, and none of, and there were some times where nothing, nothing worked. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there was one time where I was, I was bedridden for four days, hadn't eaten. That's when I dropped down to 127 pounds, couldn't eat any food, couldn't hear sound. I had these migraines. They had, they had done this puncture where they were trying to stick chemotherapy in my spinal cord and they hit the wrong spot. And I had a spinal leak, uh, which causes these horrific migraines and, um, the, uh, yeah, the, so, so, so that experience. So here's what happened though, is the day I was diagnosed with cancer and I had that conversation with my wife and then I got off the phone with her and I, I, I pulled out my journal and I started journaling, you know, and I asked the question, how am I going to beat this cancer and live a long, healthy life with my wife and our kids? And that was the question. And I, uh, you know, the, the, it was within the first literally 15 minutes, my answer was the miracle equation. And for anybody listening, if you follow the Miracle Morning or follow my career, my books, you know, you'd, you'd I'd be, I, for, I would imagine public perception is like, oh, the Miracle Morning came out and then now the Miracle Equation is this great follow-up, right? But the Miracle Equation as a concept and, and even as a, the name Miracle Equation preceded the Miracle Morning by six years. I created this when I was 20 years old and I was trying to break a company sales record, which means, in other words, I was trying to do something that no one in the 50-year history of the company I worked for had ever done before, and it felt like a miracle. And so I went out, and and we can we get in that story, great, but we don't need to. The point is, it happened in miraculous fashion. I, I realized that in order to achieve our biggest goals and dreams, it, it, they, it hinges on two decisions. The first decision is that we have to develop unwavering faith that we can accomplish anything and everything that we're committed to accomplishing. Unwavering faith that we can do things bigger and better than our past shows us that we have any right to think we could do because there's no evidence from the past. That's why it's faith. You have to step out on faith. And if you study the world's most successful people, James, in any walk of life, right? Whether it's a world champion athlete or Olympian, or it's a CEO or a multimillionaire, or you, we could get it. I mean, we could spend this whole interview to how you've applied the miracle equation. I mean, you, might, you didn't call it that, right? But every successful person on the planet, every prolific achiever and innovator, they began their journey at some point by establishing the faith that they could do something that they had never done before. And in many cases, like an Elon Musk, that had never, no one had ever done it. He's like, I want to make an electric car. There was no evidence in the past that that could even be done, right? But that's the first decision that every prolific achiever makes. I will main, I will develop unwavering faith that I can do this thing that, you know, my biggest goals, my biggest dreams. And then the second decision is that they will put forth extraordinary effort. It's maintaining extraordinary effort. And that at first blush, you go, ah, extraordinary effort. So yeah, I got to work hard. I, I don't know about working hard. That doesn't sound appealing. In the book, I, I, I break these decisions down so they can become a fundamental part of the way you live where extraordinary effort becomes ordinary. Like I, I talk about in the book, don't make it feel extraordinary, then you won't do it. How do you make it feel ordinary? And the way you make it feel ordinary, if you were to sum it up in one word, extraordinary effort is consistency. It's not Gary Vaynerchuk, 80 hours a day, you know, like nothing to teach their own. But, but that's not what it's about. Think of it this way. If you imagine if you're listening to this 
And imagine if you were able to live your life with these two decisions, and this is what it might kind of look like. Imagine if, what would life be like if you viewed every challenge that came your way, whether it was a car accident, cancer, job loss, or just, you know, something small, right? Traffic. With the, through the lens of unwavering faith that you had the ability and the capability and, the deser- and you were deserving of everything that you want for your life. Imagine if that's how you approached every single day, every opportunity, every moment through the lens of unwavering faith. And then imagine if you were able to figure out how to put forth extraordinary effort. And that one word is consistency. Every day you did one thing that moved you closer in the direction of your biggest goals and your biggest dreams. If you maintain those two decisions, your success moves from possible, which who cares about possible? Like optimist, everything's possible. Who cares what's possible? You've got to get your goals to become probable. And then through the miracle equation, they become inevitable. It's only a matter of time. And so for me, I did this when I was 20. That's when I first did it. It worked. I then taught it to, a. I was coaching a dozen of my colleagues at the time, my uh, you know fellow top salespeople. And I taught them the miracle equation right after I did it. Cause I was, I want, I, I was, that's my thing. I, I, I want to pay it forward. You know? And I also was, I was really curious, James. I was like, would this work for anybody else? Or just, did I, do I just get lucky? Is this just me? Uh, you know, cause I died and maybe I have some special, I don't know. Um, so I taught it to them and really it was, it was curiosity if it would work. It was a 100% success rate. All 12 of them went out in their very next sales contest and surpassed what they had ever done in the history of their career. And many of them, they broke all-time records, what had never been done before. So, so a couple of comments. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, Good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, If you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And 
you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring. So you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important, and I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So so a couple of comments. One is yeah. my first reaction when I was looking at this was, is there like a little bit of selection bias? Like, you know, you pick out names like Elon Musk or Michael Jordan or whatever, and yes, unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort work for them. But let's say I wanted to be, like if I had unwavering faith that I'm going to be the best basketball player in the NBA at the age of 51, that would just be stupid no matter how much extraordinary effort I put into it. So, so, but... But that said, uh, I do believe this formula because of compounding. So if extraordinary effort, like you say, if you just put it, do a little bit each day, people don't realize, you know, and I, I've, I've written about this, but, uh, you know, 1% improvement a day in an area which you passionately love and are willing to put extraordinary effort into, 1% a day compounded is 3,800% a year, not 365% a year, but you're actually 38 times better than you were. Like, let's say in the beginning, you were equal with all yeah. your competition, and many things are competitive, whether we like it or not. Let's say in the very beginning of the year, you were equal, you're going to be 38 times better than you were after a year of just 1% a day. Yeah. So that's the extraordinary effort. It doesn't even have to be that extraordinary. It just has to be a little extra. It's a, a little extra more than the ordinary. Yeah. And that's extraordinary effort. And the, the faith is involved in that, you know, even when, you know, as you're improving at something or as you're getting better at something, you're going to, by de definition, suck at each new level you hit. Sure. Because there are going to be people at that level who have been doing it for a while who are just better. So you have to have faith that you can continue to get better and improve and be, uh, you know, with this, with this effort. So I do believe... The equation, I do believe that, and I've seen it in my own life, I do believe that miracles can result. What in in the sales case, and then we'll get I want to hear the end of your the story of what happened to you. Yeah. But in the sales case, what do you see as the extra effort that they were putting in um in, in into <clears throat> it, that resulted in these hundred percent six you know success rate? So in the um in the simplest term, it's uh, it's doing everything in your power, right? To achieve the outcome that you're after. And the thing about these two decisions is they're not, they're not complicated, right? And they always say, right, success is simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And, and, it's, and the idea with, with all of these people, it, it almost feels, well, chapter one of the book is called Taking the Mystery Out of Miracles, Right, where I define, I kind of say, you know, like miracles is a loaded word, right? You've got, you know, it's, is, it, is it this religious act? Is it the parting of the Red Sea? Most often I think miracles kind of have a bad name because we view them as passive random events that we have no control over, right? So I, so I first of all bring miracle to, here's the definition. 
any outcome outside the realm of what you believe is probable for you. So when you then achieve that outcome, it feels like a miracle. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I actually did it. I, I gave it everything I had. I put forth, I, I maintained unwavering faith and I actually did it. Here's the thing. <clears throat> take a world-class athlete, okay? I'll take Michael Jordan. I don't, you know, when I was a kid, Jordan still holds a place in my heart as like, you know, my favorite player. So Michael Jordan considered largely as one of the greatest, if not the greatest basketball player of all time. Michael Jordan, I believe, and this is true for all elite athletes. Um, they all live the miracle equation. Michael Jordan, at some point in his career, maybe it was when he was in high school, maybe it was because of a mentor, maybe it was you know, of his own resolve, right? He made a decision to live, his, to, to, to approach his field through unwavering faith. And what I mean by that is this, Michael Jordan he believes, he has faith that he will make every shot that he ever takes, even though, James, it's impossible. No one, you know, the average, the best basketball players in the world make about half, right? So you miss half. But he, but here's the thing, when, when the ball hits Michael Jordan's hands, I believe, and I haven't, he hasn't told me this, but I, I think that you observe any athlete, he, he made a decision at some point that he would make every shot that he took. Now, what happens when we usually miss a shot? And this is, you know, whether it's Michael Jordan or I'm talking figuratively in, in, in our lives, right? We, we, we attempt something, we miss that thing. Most people, their faith that it was possible is replaced with fear or self-doubt. They, you know, so you take a basketball player and they get the ball and they shoot it and they miss it and they go, you know, seed of doubt is planted. Uh-oh, maybe, maybe I'm off today, shoot. And then if they get the ball again and they miss a second shot in a row, that doubt is amplified. Uh-oh, oh man, it's an off night. They get the ball a third time, they hesitate and they usually pass it to another teammate because, and, and that's how we, I believe we live our lives through a lens, often an unconscious lens of self-doubt and fear. And in, it, here's the thing, you look at a Michael Jordan or an elite athlete, they cannot make every shot that they take in the same way that we cannot achieve every goal that we pursue, but that doesn't change that Michael Jordan maintains unwavering faith that he will make every shot that he takes. And if he misses 12 shots in a row, he has unwavering faith he'll miss the 13th or make the 13th. And if he misses that shot, he'll make the 14th. And if, if there's only, if he's missed his previous 14 shots and there's only five seconds left in the game and time for one more shot in the huddle, all the other players are going, we're down by two, I'm not taking the shot. And Jordan says, give me the ball. He's what I call in the book, a miracle maven. Someone who understands that if you want to maximize your potential and your life, you know, try to do it without these decisions. Like that's the thing is they are fundamental. They don't guarantee success. They increase your probability of success. And over an extended period of time, they move it from probable to inevitable. Doesn't mean, yeah, go ahead. Well, well and also uh, you, you, you mentioned this in the book in the book, a lot of this is related to getting out of your comfort zone. So like you say, most people will do X, Y, and Z. They'll, they'll pass the ball the third time they get it if they miss the, the first two shots. Whereas with two, with five seconds left in the game and you're down by two, it's kind of out of the comfort zone for someone who's just missed 13 shots in a row to say, give the ball to me. It's a, it's like a challenge that they need to overcome a simple challenge, but it's outside the comfort zone for most people. And you kind of have to do that over and over again to practice getting out of the comfort zone. And that teaches you that this unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort is possible. Now with Michael Jordan's case, but this maybe applies to everyone and, and, and you know, people, there's all these, you know, kind of famous stories. People would, you know, uh, get on the 
Bulls basketball team and they would start showing up early for practice. And no matter how early they showed up for practice, Michael Jordan was, was already there, there yep. and he would always stay later. So he, had, he always put in this, no matter how good he was, he was already the best player in, the, in history. Yep. He would put in this extra effort. And that's why he was the best, the extraordinary effort. And, and for me, when I was diagnosed with cancer, right? So the unwavering faith piece was, you know, in the book, I, I, again, I, it's all about making it practical, not woo-woo, but practical. How do you make faith practical? You put it in writing and you read it every single, meaning a statement that reinforces your faith and you read it every day so that it overrides your fear. And the more you read it and the more you feel it and the more you believe it, fear goes from, you know, most people are consumed with it on some level to it just becomes a distant memory. And when your fear shows up, you quickly replace it with faith. But let me ask you this, and I'm sorry to interrupt because no, no, this is do. such a poignant story. But when you write down like, um, you know, um, I have faith that I'm going to beat this cancer and, and spend the rest of my life with my wife and yep. kids and whatever. Did it make you sad a little bit, given that at that time you thought the odds were, you were being told by scientists, the odds were that's not going to happen? Like, did you feel like um, writing this, but it, for, it puts the image of your wife and kids in there and you're writing this thing down that might not be true. Does it make you, I, I would think that there's a potential to be overwhelmed by sadness that I'm writing this down, but it might not come, if it forces in your head the, the idea that my kids might not have me. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I had the fear of dying probably at least once a day. Right. I mean, I mean the, the thought of like, what if I, what if I apply the miracle equation? What if I do all this? And what if I still die? You know, I'm sure there are people that believed they were going to live and they, they died. Right. Um, and, and I also, I'm like, you know, I'm looking at the realism of cause and effect. I go, for example, if somebody came in the room and shot me in the head right now, no matter how much I had faith that that bullet wouldn't kill me, I'd probably die. Right. So, I mean, there were those logical thoughts, but James, here's the thing when I would have the fear uh, that I was gonna die, most of us, again, we have a, a seed of fear planted in our, in our mind and then we water it by focusing on it and it expands, right? It's that, the old adage, what we focus on expands. For me, it's replacing fear with faith. And so when I would have those fears, I would pull out my, you know, my call it miracle mantra. And I would say, I am committed to living to be 100 plus years old with my wife and children, no matter what, there is no other option. I am committed to living to be 100 plus years old, no matter what, there is no other option. And I would read it over and over and over. And it consumed, I consumed my mind with faith rather than fear. And on a specific, you know, um, on a physical note, uh, I had my car accident. I was hit head on by the drunk driver at 70 miles an hour. I broke 11 bones. My femur broke in half. My pelvis broke in three places. Um, I broke my arm in half. I shattered my elbow. I severed my radial nerve. I broke the sockets in my eye. I was clinically dead for six minutes. And when I came out of the coma, they said I would never walk again. I told, uh, so I realized, okay, that's a possibility. They might be right. I, have, I really have no, no way of knowing, but neither do they. So the doctors thought I was in denial because I was so positive and upbeat and happy. And they sent my dad in to find out what was really going on. They said, you got to find out, you know, Hal's must be really depressed and scared and angry. And he's just kind of delusional. They literally said I was in denial. And my dad came in and he sat down. He said, the doctors are concerned you're in denial. Hal, you know what? How are you really feeling, son? It's okay if you're sad and scared. You know, you're 20 years old. You're being told you're never going to walk again. I can't imagine what that's like. And I said, dad, the way I see it, there's only two possibilities. Number one, the doctors are right and I will never walk again. And I said, and I've accepted that as, you know, I, I, I gave myself five minutes to be upset about it. And literally I did. And I said, but if I can never walk again and I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I said, dad, I've already imagined I'll be the happiest. I've decided, not imagined, I've decided 
I will be the happiest and the most grateful person you've ever seen in a wheelchair. Because I'm in a wheelchair either, I'd be in a wheelchair either way. Why let that define my quality of life? Why feel bad that I'm in a wheelchair? Why feel bad that I can't walk? If I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, that will not, that, that's not gonna affect my quality of life. I'm gonna be happy and grateful. I said, but dad, I've now accepted the worst case scenario. It has no power over me. I don't even think about it. I don't even dwell on not walking again. And this is the same thing I did with the cancer. I said, dad, now all of my energy is now available to focus not on what I'm afraid of, but on what I want in my life. And I wanna walk again. So I visualize walking every day. I feel the emotions of what it'll feel like when I take my first step. I imagine, I pray about walking. And James, one week after this conversation, so the timeline is this, head on car accident, dead at the scene. Six days later, I come out of my coma after I'd flatlined two more times. One week after that, so one week after the coma, two weeks after the crash is when my dad came in and had this conversation. One week after that, three weeks after the crash, after I told my dad, dad, I'm visualizing walking. I have unwavering faith that I will walk again. I, one week later, James, the doctors came in with routine x-rays and this is where my faith, you know, I, I, it's from this experience. They came and said, Hal, we have your x-rays from today. We don't know how to explain this, but your body has somehow heal, healing itself so quickly that we're gonna let you take your first step tomorrow in therapy if you're ready. So what do you think happened? Do you think, like you said, you, you, you weren't putting energy towards the negative, like, oh, poor me, I'm never gonna walk again. You were putting energy towards, like you mentioned in the book, you, you uh, were doing double, you know, often extra physical therapy. Yeah. Do, what, what, what do you attribute the fast um, recovery time to? Was it the visualization and the affirmations, which feels a little woo-woo? Sure. Or was it the fact that um, you're devoting this energy towards putting a little extra effort into that physical therapy that maybe you wouldn't have if you were discouraged or I don't believe it was the physical therapy effort at all. I was doing that because I believe in extraordinary effort. You, you've got to feel like you're deserving of the outcome that you're after, which is what extraordinary effort does. It actually, the beauty of that is it's called the faith effort feedback loop, right? Where you establish and maintain unwavering faith, you can do something which propels you to take the action and put forth the effort necessary to do it. And by putting forth that effort, it then fuels your faith because you go, wow, I'm really, I'm doing it. I'm working hard. I'm actually, I deserve this. So, so the effort was a very small part, I believe. And I don't have a graph to show you. You know, I've read, I've read about this, but I'm not, I don't have a very scientific mind. So my memory doesn't remember facts and I can never quote stuff. But the point is the mind-body connection, right? You know, like Joe Dispenza talks about, you are the placebo, these types of things. I believe that my mind healed my body. And so when I got, and the reason I shared that story is I wanted to really answer your question about the cancer um, and how faith played into that is I, because I had the reference point of, look, I was told I would never walk again. And a week later, I took my first step. And how did I do that? Well, uh, the only thing that I did that I had control over for the most part, right, was I had faith that I was going to do it. And, and here's the thing, James, if stress can kill you, then the opposite of stress can give you life. If stress can kill you, which is one of our number one killers, what it does to our body and our cells. Again, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. I can't, I'm, I'm, I've read about it. I can't explain it very well, right? But if stress can kill you, then the opposite, which I believe is faith, can give you life. It can give you, it can create anything. And so for me, when I did the affirmations, or I mean, not the affirmations, when I was, when I had the, well, like, yeah, affirmations were part of it, but when I had cancer, I... Uh, it, to me, it was a decision. I'm going to live to be 100 no matter what, there's no other option. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even, whenever I would have the fear, it would just be like, no, no, well, the fear's not gonna serve me. So like, for instance, when you had to go to 
the ER at one of these times. Like you mentioned, you know, you had to go to ER innumerable times. Uh, uh, maybe anybody else would think, okay, this might be it. I'm going yep. to the ER. I'm going to die. Um, but you would push that out because you had this, you would remind yourself, no, but I'm living to hundred. To be hundred. There is no other even though, option. Even though you might be delusional. Yeah. At that even point. though I might be delusional. Right. But here's the thing. I'd rather be delusional and program my body and my cells to heal than be afraid and cause them to die. And so, um, the, and in my extraordinary effort, this is an important part too of this, of the cancer journey. <clears throat> when the doctor said, you know, you can't do this holistically. And when I had to wrestle with, God, I don't, I don't want to do chemo, but I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what else, that's the best. That's the only, the only hope I've got is chemo right now. I don't know what else to do. And so when I did the chemo, the decision I made is, you know what? And I, I told this to my wife, this was like a huge aha for me. And I go, sweetheart, I figured out what my extraordinary effort part is going to be of this miracle equation for the cancer to beat cancer. She goes, what? I said, I'm going to research and do everything, every holistic practice available to me as if I weren't doing chemo and I were only here healing this naturally. And that's my extraordinary effort. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna detox from the chemo, I'll detox my liver, my kidneys. I'm gonna build up my immune system. So James, I was taking 70, roughly 70 supplements a day that were all vetted out, making sure there was no magnesium steroid. I mean, we, we you know, really found the best supplements that I could take. I was juicing did ever, every day. Did you ever list the supplements that you took? I think I have them somewhere. I, I need to put them publicly there. Yeah, I'm not sure where they are. That's but, a good uh, idea. Yeah, I do. And do supplements work? Like when you take something that's in pill form, does it get into the blood? Um, yeah. And, and it depends on the supplement. If like for me, taking whole food supplements was, was a big part of it. It wasn't taking, you know, synthetic ascorbic acid and all the, you know, these man-made chemical supplements. It was usually taking whole food supplements. Mean, meaning you would eat the food. No, no, no. Meaning you can buy their brands out there. Like some of the brands, Mega Foods is a good one. Um, you can get them on Amazon, Mega Foods, um, uh, Nature Wise is another favorite. It's organic whole foods that are ground up and dried and then put in capsules versus man-made synthetic Versions and and they're distilled enough that you get the uh, whatever chemical that you need. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I don't know, right? I wasn't, I mean, I mean, you know, and that's the thing about like with my cancer journey, there were so many, th I did everything that basically I looked at risk reward. I go, okay, you know, is this thing I'm doing or taking, are there any harmful effects? Chemo was the, was the worst of it, right? But, but with all the natural stuff, it was like, okay, could this work? Maybe. Does it work? I don't know. Um, does it hurt me? No. Then I'm going to take it. So um, I did ozone sauna. I did- uh, what's, what's ozone sauna? Ozone sauna is a, it's a very high-end sauna. The machine costs $30,000. And, uh, and I think there's less expensive ones, but I, I figured I'm going to use the best one. And, um, and it's called, the one I use is called the Hocket. H-O-C-A-T-T. -T. Um, so it's, and this is where my science is terrible in explaining this, I'm sure, but um, it, it, it is, uh, it's an infrared sauna. So, right, it's opening up your pores and, and, uh, and, and you're sweating and you're getting out the toxins. But while your pores are open, there's a CO2 tank hooked up to the sauna and it's shooting um, ozone, which is like one molecule off of oxygen into your cells. And it's basically hyper-oxygenating your cells and allowing them to heal themselves, selves of any cancer, that sort of thing. Did you, was there like one local or did you buy? I, won, I ended up buying one. Yeah. For the local apartment in Houston? Um, no. So the crazy part is I actually didn't get it delivered until after my initial, my eight months of chemo. So I use it every day now, three times a week. Today, like to this day. To this day, it. I'll use it for the rest of my life. Yeah. yeah. And then the biggest, I bought a thing called- And, and a, have you seen results from it? I'm just curious. Like, 
I mean, I, again, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I feel, you know, I'm sweating every day. I know that's good for me to, you know, to, to, to sweat for 30 minutes. I do three day, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and I had to find it. Like, I, you know, I didn't have $30,000 to, I mean, but it was literally like life or death. And then the irony is I didn't get it delivered until after the chemo was done. But, um, but I, yeah, I was like, I put it on a credit card. I'm like, look, look, I, it's my life. It's, you know, I'm never going to regret spending this obscene amount of money, but I might regret not spending it. Um, I got a laser watch from Germany. I can't think of the name of it, but it's, I, I still wear it every single day. Um, it's this, it put, it uses different colored lasers through your wrist and it's supposed to filter your blood and your can, any cancer cells that are moving through your bloodstream. Um, I got something called a Beamer mat, B-E-M-E-R, which uses um, a low level electromagnetic signal that uh, it, it helps regulate your, your cell function, you know, throughout your body. And then the most extraordinary effort of all this is when I felt like I deserved to cure cancer, beat cancer, when I did this, James, every uh, three days a week. Um, and that was uh, coffee enemas. So I always say there's no effort more extraordinary than sticking a tube up your butt and shooting coffee up there. But I did coffee enemas three days a week. Um, and, uh, and I still do those uh, one What's day a week. What's the difference between a coffee enema and an enema? I mean, I, I get it, the coffee, but... the co So you put organic coffee into your colon... And it stimulates bile production in your liver, I believe, and that it it it, it basically it, it rapidly accelerates how fast your liver detoxes, and it you don't feel the effects of the caffeine when it goes up the other end. Is there is there a chance you're kind of getting rid of the good and the bad at the same time? Um, it may be. I don't know. You know, I I mean, I, I did a lot of research on it, and there are some. Uh, you know, there is some. I mean, you, you, like anything, you get both both sides of it. But um, the, all the research that I did, I my my conclusion was that I, I you know that it, I think it's helpful. It also just feels great. You feel like you know you have a big dinner the night before. And you're not to get too graphic, but you're like, oh wow, I I got rid of all that. That's great. <laughs> so so you're doing this um, unwavering faith, and then I like the fact that you um, also had to come up with a, a formula. What does extraordinary effort mean in this situation? So yeah. it can't just be, oh, I'm gonna work hard. It's like, it's like, like you said, it's a formula. You have to figure out what's the extra thing I'm going to do. That's a little bit out of the comfort zone that maybe is unique that nobody's ever done before that I could call my extraordinary effort. I like that. The fact that there's a little formula there. Well, it's like, it's like ordinary effort plus extra. Yeah. Well, and here's the way that I define extraordinary effort in the book. Um, like I said, my, my objective when you read this is to make the unwavering faith feel tangible, feel practical, feel, you know, become part of your way of being and your way of living. Um, and then the extraordinary effort, like I said, I, my objective is to make it feel ordinary. And so I call in the book, I call it the power of the process, which is the idea that the, every result, every outcome that we desire in our lives, you can call it a dream or a goal, but it's an outcome, right? Every outcome we desire is preceded by a process. The process is what produces the outcome. And without the process, there is no outcome, right? You make a vision board and you just magically wait for shit to happen. Well, that, that, there's no process there. You actually need the process. And so the idea is that you, you look at, okay, if I want to achieve blank outcome, what is the process that if I execute the process every day, you know, for a little bit of time each day or once a week or whatever, depending on how long you want to extend your outcome to reaching it, what is the process that will virtually guarantee that I achieve the outcome inevitably? It, it, it might take me a year, it might take me 10, but eventually if I do this thing, I'll get there. For example, if you want to write a book like James Altucher, be an author, right? Your process is based on how many write, words you write each day and how many words you write makes your success of writing that book inevitable. If you write a thousand words a day, well then in 50 days, you're going to have 50,000 words book, right? 
If you want to lose weight, your process might involve limiting caloric intake and increasing your cardiovascular output, right? But you can't not lose weight unless you have a genetic, you know, defect or something. Um, but if you burn more calories than you're bringing in, you burn the fat in your body, you're, you're going to drop some pounds, right? So, so that's the idea is that what is the process that will make your success inevitable? And like when I was in sales, it got real easy where I realized that the one year I wanted to double my income. And it was my last year in my company. So I spent five years as one of the top sales reps. And, um, and then I was about to leave. I hit Hall of Fame with the company. I'm like, all right, I'm done. And then I went, you know what? I never gave it everything I had. Like, I, not for an entire year. I was like the, I was the flash in the pan kid. I would, I would break our sales record and then take three months off and go travel. And then I would, you know, I was never consistent over a whole year. And I went, I want to double my income, double my sales, double my income. And it wasn't for the point of making the money. It was who would I become? That's a big part of what I talk about in the numerical equation. This isn't about achieving individual goals. This is you becoming the type of person, what I call a miracle maven, who can create extraordinary results over and over and over in every single area of your life. That's what the miracle equation has, has done for me. And that's what I'm trying to share, you know, why I'm sharing with people. But where was I going with that? Um... So, so you were, you were, you were going to double sales. Oh, double sales. Thank you. I was going to double my sales, double my income. And, and here's the thing, you know, if you, if you're, especially if you're in sales, you could understand this, but if you're in business, imagine like doubling is big, right? Increasing your revenue or your income by a hundred percent is a tall task. And it's Particularly very, after you've already been achieving peak high, results. Exactly. Cause that's, I, that was kind of my question. Like I've already been one of the, you know, at my, you know, one of the top guys, like, how am I going to double that? Right. And the, and, and the, the amount that I was trying to, to reach to double the sales had been done by, I think, three people in the 50-year history of the company, right, out of over a million sales reps. So it had been done by a few people. And here's what I did. I went, wait a minute, let me look at my process. And this is really, this is, I hope this is really valuable for people to think, to, to see it this way. I actually was able to pull out my calendar. This was back when I used a physical daily planner, right? And I pulled out my planner from the years that I had sold. And back then I was selling, it was, just to give you real numbers, it was $100,000 of kitchen knives, right? That was my best year ever. I had one at 105,000, one at 106,000. I was trying to sell 200,000 in, in the, this, this last year. And I looked at my, I pulled out my calendars from the years I sold 100,000 and I added up Every phone call, luckily I tallied all my phone calls and I tallied all my appointments each and every day that I worked. So I was able to go back and count how many calls did I make to sell $100,000 over the course of 52 weeks? How many appointments did I do? And here's what's crazy, James. Crazy in a good way. I went, wait a minute. I averaged, it was like 21.2 calls a day, um, five days a week. So basically hundred calls a week for the year sold me $100,000. So the, the idea of doubling my best year ever in terms of the outcome was, was, was intimidating, but I went, wait a minute, I've made 40 calls in a day before, not, not every day, not for a year, but I could, I could, if I double my process, I'll double my results. And that's what happened. I had an actually relatively stress low stress year because instead of being scared, I just committed to my extraordinary effort, which was 40 phone calls a day instead of 20. And that only took me an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening and that was it. The rest was just showing up. And did I did you do it. any other kind of analysis? Like, okay, Mondays are better than Tuesdays. So make more calls on Mondays. Than I'm Tuesdays? not that technical. No. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I figured there's probably other ways to, well, I mean, the, you know, there, there was, I definitely knew the times people, I could get a hold of people. So in the morning I would call, you know, between like eight and nine, I would call, um, housewives that I knew that, you know, cause when I would do appointments, I would get referrals and I would say, which of the people that you're referring me to are home during the day? Like they don't work during the day and which of them work. And I would just make little marks next to each one. So I would know who to call at, you know, at which times of day. Yeah.
So, so again, it's like figuring out how to take effort, yep. which, you know, people always think work hard, that's effort, but then make it extra. Doing that extra analysis to say, okay, now it's different. Now it's a little out of my comfort zone. Now it's something I haven't done before and I'm going to push. So now cancer, you're in chemo, your, your, you know, life is at risk. You, you decide as extra effort is you're going to do this holistic practice on top of the chemo. Um, you're doing this enormous amount of chemo. I, I don't know if you consider that part of the extraordinary effort, but I definitely just... do. Definitely do. It was, it was very, very difficult. So, so, and then, you know, a few weeks later, you're, the cancer started to go away. Um, yeah, well, I wouldn't say a few weeks later. It was about, yeah, eight months later. Well, I guess technically when we did the first chemo, they said that it was working, you know, that I was responding really well. Because some people, that, that's a problem too, that whole 30% survival rate. Some people, they don't, they get the chemo and the cancer doesn't respond to it at all. It just stays. Or, or a lot of times you get chemo and like you say, it's this race between killing your body and killing the cancer. A lot of times people get chemo and they go into a coma again. And so then it's happening kind of internally in their body while they're in a coma. Yeah. That, that, that battle, did that ever happen to you? Um, I mean, I never went into a coma, but, uh, the, uh, I mean, for sure it was killing me. I mean, I, you know, it was, it was, yeah, I was, it was, it was killing me, um, slowly, but surely, uh, the, the doctors were surprised at how well I responded because, uh, I believe, uh, I did all those holistic practices. And of course they dismissed those. They, you know, right, most they, part, they know nothing about them. That. They don't study that, which is, I don't know. I don't fault them for it, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, so for me, um, it was, uh, it was eight, an eight month journey, um, roughly eight months of doing this her hardcore, horrific chemotherapy. Uh, and then they finally, after the eight, after the final treatment, you know, I went and did a bone marrow biopsy, which is one of those painful procedures you could ever do. Um, they stick a really thick needle in your, in your hip and they go deep into your bone and then suck out the bone marrow and they can't numb your bone. There's no, you can't, you know, so it was, how come they couldn't just put you out? Um, <laughs> I found out on the third time that they can put you out. Okay. Cause I have, I would have insisted on that day Dude, one. So no, so if I get a tooth pulled, I get, get put, put out. out. Yeah. I'm almost too. I'm glad <laughs> we both are. No. So I'm on the, I'm on the, on the table on the third time doing this procedure and I'm going, Oh, oh I'm like these horrific moans. And the, the, the woman, the nurse, she's like, um, she goes, I'm going to put a note in the computer that she goes, this is really painful for you. Huh? I'm like, this is like the worst pain ever. She goes, I'm going to put a note that they put you under next time. And I was like, you can put me under <laughs> what? <laughs> and so now, cause I still have to do it every few months. I have to go get tested. You know, they're monitoring it. And um, yeah, now I get put under every time, which is, yeah, which is much, much nicer. So, so now this is like two years later, two and a half years Been later, two, a little over two years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's you're, you're, you say you have to take these tests every few months, but are you done with cancer? So, um, you, you know, you, there's so many people, uh, you, I'll be never be done with cancer. It's a lifelong journey now. And so many people, especially with my cancer, because of how aggressive and how unpredictable it is, uh, it comes back and they die. And so that, you know, I still have that monkey on my back, you know, forever. Now they say the longer you go, statistically, the longer you go after beating the cancer, five years, kind of their magic mark, you know, I'm not sure exactly how they measure or decide that's the, the amount, but uh, the longer you go without it, the the higher your survival rate goes. So I'm very, you know, being two years out since having cancer and uh, one year out since being free from cancer, um, the odds every day that I'm alive and go in for a test and get a clean bill of health, you know, it's uh, it, it it's it's the odds are that I'm going to stay alive. And but again, 
I have unwavering faith, James. I am like living to be with my family to be a hundred plus years old. I still read the affirmation every day. All my affirmations, I still maintain unwavering faith every day. I still do. I still take about 30 supplements, still do ozone sauna, still do coffee enemas. Um, I'm going to look into that ozone sauna. That sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you a link. It's, uh, it's so, so, so the, the extraordinary effort I get, like it's basically again, effort plus you kind of think through your head, like, uh, what's going to be the extra and you analyze yeah. different things and you analyze what people have done before. What's extra, what gives you that extra little bit each day that, you know, compounds into something that's a miracle that nobody's ever seen before. Yeah. Um, the unwavering faith, you tie a lot into the, the affirmation process. And you, you even mentioned the criticism of affirmations in the book. You don't want to be delusional. You don't want to be inauthentic. You don't want to say something that you then get disappointed by later. And that's a big problem with affirmations that they, people say these incredible things, but then it just ends up being creating more stress for them and more frustration and so on when they, when they don't come true. Um, you know, I know you're, you're catching a plane shortly, so <laughs> we have a few minutes left. By the way, did you did you really come in just for this podcast? A hundred percent. So I think I think by the way, that's the extraordinary, extraordinary effort. effort that you did for your your. It the seems book. like you're doing it for this book, but you did it also for the Miracle Morning, which is what you know. It's unusual for a book three years after it comes out to suddenly be back on the bestseller list, and your extraordinary effort in the case of the Miracle Morning, uh, did it. Like that is the only thing that, that did it, that, that works. Well, and it's the, un, the unwavering faith is what leads to the extraordinary effort, right? Like I, I, I established in writing unwavering faith that the miracle morning could change millions of people's lives if I got it into their hands. Right? So, so, so part of that affirmation process is, is, um, writing down something that you feel has meaning. So you, you feel felt deep down and, and it, and it's true. You felt deep down that, Okay, if I get this book into a million hands, it's going to help a million people. This yeah. is, gives me meaning, and for, for this gives me, me the meaning I need to pursue the extraordinary effort that will take. Because you don't want to put extraordinary effort into fifty things. You want to find where is the meaning in your life right now to begin a process, not an outcome, but like as you say, a process. So, so that's part of the affirmation process. Is where's where's the meaning? What what else? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, we'll dive into affirmations here. Um, so affirmations, first and foremost, are my favorite of the savers, right? People ask, do you have a favorite? And I, the, the politically correct answer is probably no, they're all equally important, but uh, affirmations are my favorite. And affirmations are probably the most misunderstood or misused or mistaught um, personal development practice. And most of the people, myself included for many years, they, they have a bad rap. It's like, oh yeah, you say, I am great, I am happy, I am blah, blah, blah. You know, it's kind of cheesy, it doesn't work. Uh, it, you're correct. It does not work if you do it that way. There are two two big problems with affirmations that I think are the biggest downfall uh, and the way they've been taught, mistaught over the years. Number one is lying to yourself doesn't work. And most, most affirmations, it's like they teach you, hey, if you want to be wealthy, just say, I am wealthy and feel it deep in your soul and just say it over and over, right? If you want to be a millionaire, say, I am a millionaire until you believe it. Trick yourself into believing it. But here's the thing right? The truth will always prevail. So if you go, I am a millionaire, your subconscious goes, dude, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not even a thousandaire. Who are you kidding? Right? You're like, shut up. I'm doing my affirmations. The second problem with affirmations is that passive language doesn't produce results. And we're taught to, to there's a popular money affirmation, for example, that says, I am a money magnet. Money flows to me effortlessly. 
and in abundance. No, it doesn't. That's not how money works. You actually have to work your ass off and, you know, and, and put out effort and create value for the world. And then you're compensated for that value. So if you do affirmations in one of these two ways, yeah, doesn't work cheesy. In fact, it does more damage than good. Right. The way that I teach affirmations here are four very real tangible steps that will how you create affirmations that produce extraordinary results. And you don't need to read the miracle equation book yet to, you can implement these right away. Step number one, um, what you're committed to. We don't get what we want in life. We get what we're committed to. So if you want to be wealthy, that's fine. But say, I am committed to becoming wealthy. And of course, the more specific, the better. I'm committed to earning a million dollars by this date, right? So number one, step one. Which might one, change later. This shit always changes, right? Process but, is more important than outcome. I am committed to blank. So number one, what you're committed to. Number two, as you just alluded to, why is it deeply meaningful to you? I wanted to be wealthy and be a millionaire when I was younger for a long time because then I could buy stuff. That wasn't deeply meaningful to me. And I never, ever, I didn't make, you know, I want to be a millionaire by the time I was 25, didn't happen. By the 30, didn't happen. 35, didn't happen. And then I finally had, when I finally had my first child, my daughter, and I was, you know, revisiting my goals and I went, oh, I'm committed to becoming wealthy, not to buy stuff, but because my wife and my daughter, I am the sole provider for our family and providing financial security for our family and financial freedom is, is one of the most important roles in my life next to actually being a parent. And so all of a sudden, once I had leverage of step two there of the affirmation process, what I was deeply, why it was meaningful to me, then within five years, I was a millionaire. So, um, and then step three is what specific actions or in the case of the miracle equation, what is the process that you're committed to? So what are the actions that you'll take that will move your goals from possible to probable to inevitable? And step four is when will you take those actions? So now you're reciting affirmations every day that aren't woo-woo, that aren't fluffy, that aren't trying to make you feel good. They're literally programming your conscious and subconscious mind to be committed to the outcome that is deeply meaningful to you by clarifying the actions that you're committed to take and when specifically you'll take those actions. So so like with the with the millionaire one, what did you know then at the very beginning of that process? what actions you needed to take? Not at all. And here's what I say in, in, the, in the book, in the Miracle Equation, right? I say, look, your first, when, when you get to step three of that process, like your actions, you're, like the first things you're gonna do may be figuring out how to do it. So, so you're, if you wanna be a millionaire, for example, right? Your action may be, I'm gonna spend one hour a day learning how to be a millionaire. I'm going to, I'm going to read the books of millionaires. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to study them. Um, and then I'm going to implement, by the way, I always say that's the, the, the simple two-step process to become a, a wealthy or a millionaire. You learn from millionaires what they did and read their books. And then step two is you do the things in their books. Most of us don't do that. We read books and then all we do is finish one book and then read another one and then finish the next, right? You know, and that to me is what the miracle equation, like that's why this book is so important because if I tell, like the two decisions are deceptively simple in their explanation. Yeah, unwavering faith, extraordinary effort, got it. But, but, but just hearing those doesn't do anything for you. You don't need more information. You need methods for implementation. And that's what I did in this book is it's like, here's how you actually live these two decisions. Here's how, not, not just understand them or learn them and forget about them and go on to your next book. In fact, the miracle equation, just like the miracle morning, the final chapter ends with a 30 day challenge. 
right? Because you've got to take the knowledge that you just gained and integrate it into your life. And if you do it every day for 30 days, you literally are fundamentally different in the way that you think and the way that you approach life in just a month's time. And of course, that's only the beginning. And then it gets, you know, easier and easier and easier to live these two decisions over time. Well, Hal, uh, I am, first off, I'm so glad you're healthy. I was following the story every day. I was in the group, with the group, you know, praying for the best every single day. I was so worried about you. We've known each other a long time. Uh, uh, I, I was a fan of the book, The Miracle Morning, which to be fair, I want to say you, you, you roughly summarize in this new book, The Miracle Equation, which covers so much more material. Your new book, The Miracle Equation, which sums up, you know, some of the stories we've talked about here, plus other stories. You talk about how unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort equals miracles. You go into deeply into what that means. It's a great book. It's a quick read. I, I, it's, I, I enjoy, I'm going to, I'm going to try this affirmation thing. I've never done affirmations before. I'm going to try it and I'm going to try that ozone sauna. I'm (laughs) not sure about the coffee enemas yet. Um, I'll show you how to come over and try to do do this. (laughs) Maybe I'll pass on that. But, uh, Hal, congratulations. I've seen you in action. I've seen the the extraordinary effort you, you put into everything you do and, and the unwavering faith. Thanks for coming on this podcast, which I know was part of that extraordinary effort. I know you're catching a plane to go all the way back to California when you came all the way here just to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the book, uh, and I know it's going to be a big success. I love you, James. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Hal. <laughs>